0: Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let the
1: audience know what we got in store? Yeah, so Todd's with us again uh, today, and uh, we are going to talk about conflict and Woo-hoo! resolving it. <laughs> it's a hot button a passion issue for Todd, so uh, the question is, how how short can we keep it? But Todd... Year 2000, I walk in, it's week seven of the church. You're preaching a message um, just on resolving conflict, fighting to the better, and mm-hmm. we're going to be freaks about unity. And I just rem- I, I remember this. I look at my wife and go, I want to believe you can do that in the church. I want to see this. Let's just stick around. And so that was 18 years ago, and uh, so it is true. So that's one of the many reasons I'm still here, and I love working uh, with you and for you, alongside of you. But Todd, where did that even come from for you? Why is that such a passion for you?
2: Well, I you know I want to say it's because of the scripture, and it tells us we should be passionate about it. But I think the truth is is because I saw <laughs> the devastation of it uh, not being applied. In Pursued. So it made this part of scripture especially pop. And so, um, you know, for, for me, I, I was just like, look, there's got to be a better way. I don't see anybody doing this. And I, I want to throw this out to our folks listening. I don't think this is optional. I mean, Jesus died. The very first effect of the fall was a fracture in human relationships. The entire purpose of the cross is reconciliation, man with God. And so that man being reconciled to God could therefore reconcile with one another. We could be at peace. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Paul is throwing out the great theological truth that happened through the incarnation and the sovereign kindness of God expressed through uh, the coming of his son and his provision on the cross. And when he gets done with three chapters of just theological underpinnings, he then says this, he says, therefore, like, like, First thing to do, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And he says, watch this. He says, walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love and be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's like he almost knew. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And I mean, just let me just tell you, if you're somebody who consistently has to work hard at, at keeping relationships Uh, together. Don't be discouraged. Okay. I think some people think that uh, conflict is evidence um, that that you're not spiritual people. No, I would tell you that the evidence that you're spiritual people is that you make war with conflict. Um, All conflict is not sin. All sin absolutely leads to conflict. But the fact that there are tensions at times and misunderstandings Misunderstandings aren't sin, they're misunderstandings. What you do with that misunderstanding is gonna determine if it's sin or not, but but you have to be diligent, which means to apply consistent, fervent effort to maintain unity, right? That's true in a marriage. If God wants us to be one with one another, it's not like, um, we can just sit there and go, let's not speak to each other, we'll be okay. No, you gotta work to maintain oneness. Even when there's an absence, it's like it's like any good muscle, man, you're gonna atrophy. It's, if you don't use it, it doesn't get stronger, it gets worse. And so you gotta work to do the right thing so that you are close to one another. And then certainly sometimes, because we're still in process towards Christ-likeness, the way that I work is going to create conflict. And I'm gonna need to have somebody who extends me grace and who loves me and allows me to seek forgiveness and, uh, and to do the things that God gives us to do so that we can be at peace with one another. I've seen the devastation of that not happening. I've seen the, the just, um, I guess, the the smite that that is, the way the name of Christ is besmirched because there is faux unity. We have peace fakers and we have peace breakers. We don't find very many peacemakers. This is what Matthew 5, 9 says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Just because you act like you're getting along when you're not, you're not bringing glory to God. You're faking peace a lot of times. And uh, there's always one of two responses that are unbiblical from the, the mean of the unity that God intends. There are, you know, people that will uh, on that sliding scale, if you will, of just um, the way you deal with different conflicts. Is you know, on one side you've got like the peace faking side, which is the flight side. The other side you got the peace breaking side, which is the fight side. And what God wants us to do is appropriately respond to one another. So I, I want to be one of those guys in the middle. I want to be a son of God who is a peacemaker and actively pursuing the oneness that God intends.
0: So is this a conversation when you guys were were? Praying through and talking about what you wanted Watermark to be, that's when you have the opportunity to establish core values and talk about what's going to make us us. Uh, so were these uh, explicit conversations you had back when the church was starting? Hey, this is going to be one of the marks yeah. of us is that we're going to be we're, we're going to we're going to do what Paul told us to do in Ephesians
2: four. I, I yeah, I did. I think you know, I'm, I just Adam when I answer that question, you know, um, I think A.W. Buteoser is the guy who said this, is that there is one community of humans where there is no conflict. And I say this because I think sometimes people think if we're godly people there wouldn't be any conflict. He said there's one human community that doesn't have conflict. He goes, It's called a cemetery. It's so good. You know? It's just where dead people are. And i I I, I don't I don't get discouraged by conflict. I mean, um I see it as an opportunity. That's kind of what we call it. We have what's called a, a conflict field guide that we put together, which I've borrowed heavily, stolen from Ken Sandy, uh, and just appropriated with a few little notes of my own in there. Ken Sandy has a tremendous ministry called Peacemaker Ministries. Um, and and so that conflict field guide is you know heavily pulled from him with a few little title and headings that are put on there. But, um, yeah, I did. I, I go, look, at. this is what's going to mark us. Jesus said that they're going to know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And, um, I mean, Jesus, every single act of God since the fall has been a missionary reconciliation act. And so if we're going to take the name of Jesus, we ought to be missionally reconciling with others. And doing that as we walk with our Lord and as we uh, appropriate, you know, those of us who have been forgiven much that we forgive, those who have been loved much that we love. And, yeah, we just made that the mark of us from the very beginning, that we would be one. When you go back to that verse in Ephesians, I mean, it, it absolutely says, be diligent, right, to preserve the spirit, but it goes right back. It says, look, there's one body, one spirit. You've been called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I mean, he just keeps hitting this idea of oneness. Yeah. And, and even in marriage, like I think so many guys, um, you know, they think if they don't commit adultery, they don't get divorced, they've made it. No, you don't, right? I think a lot of people are more undivorced than they are successful in marriage. And God's goal for marriage, we all quoted Genesis 2.24, leave, cleave, and become what? One flesh. That takes work. And so I just, I just said, hey, Jesus wants us to work at this. And if we're going to be his church, okay, we need to see conflict as an opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and to grow ourselves. And we can talk about those three as much as you want.
1: You no, know, I think. Well, I think that's good. I think that's a big, big part of it. Todd is just not being uh, afraid of it. You know, not not being the peace uh, faker or not just like, uh, you know, coming at this thing as like win lose. The battle lines are drawn. Eat. You just have this mentality that this is, is going to be great. You you get wind of conflict and you're like this this is going to be a great day. Not because you're looking for a fight, but because you see uh, what an opportunity this could be and what a chance it is. Like you just said, I mean to glorify God to grow uh, to grow us. So talk about that. Just how your just mentality. How do you have that yourself? How do you push that down to those uh, those that you lead and to kind of create a culture where the whole church just sees ah conflict. This is great. This is a great opportunity where in front of us.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, listen, Jesus said this, go and make disciples, right? And every time that you are working through conflict, you're modeling for somebody how to get the log out of your own eye, how to clothe yourself in humility, how to yield to the spirit of Christ. Okay, that's what disciples do. And, and so I, I always tell people, if, if 80% of my life is ministering to people in the midst of conflict, that means at least 100% of 80% of what I do is disciple making right? The other 20% of what I'm doing may or may not be obedient to the Great Commission. But every time I am working through a conflict, I am making a disciple. I am showing somebody, this is what people of God do. Um, we We don't fake. We don't pretend. We don't speak in anger. We don't not forgive. We don't withhold grace. Okay? We do these things. Um, we are filled with loving kindness, humility, gentleness, and tolerance and forbearance. We're not we're not acting like um, something is not a problem when it is a problem. Because I love somebody, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And so, if there's anything that threatens the oneness that God intends for us, maybe that you're doing or John John's doing, or if you guys see me doing it, you got to lean into that. And people go, "Man, I don't like conflict." Well, no one likes conflict. First among them is God, since He wants us to be one. So. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And I would just say, you need to see conflict as an opportunity to make disciples. And I'm going to also tell you, brace yourself, because conflict is where people show right, whether or not they are a disciple. And you're going to find a lot of spiritual leaders who do not follow Christ in this area. And they're going to they're tell you, we just don't do that. And I'm like, this is not an elective this is part of the core curriculum of what it means to follow Christ. And so when you find somebody who's saying that, I would lean in, and if they won't let you lean in, I would move on and knock the dust off your feet after you've done your prophet's work.
0: Would you say that this is a large share of the pastoral ministry uh, around here, that, that most of the time, if we think of those that are community directors and some of the other pastoral ministry guys that we have here on staff, men and women on staff, that they spend most of their time helping people Resolve conflict. Absolutely. Would you say that's true? I would
2: say that's absolutely true. And,
0: to, and I think we've talked about this before. But if you were going to put a percentage, just to give the audience an idea, <laughs> at a percentage of how much of your day or your week, however yeah. you want to think about it, is spent helping people resolve conflict. What do you What do you think that percentage is?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I floated the number eighty percent. Sometimes it felt like more, and I'm sure it was less. Like, yeah. I, I, I get it. When you're in conflict or working through it, it can be like this all-consuming thing. But what I would just say is. It needs to be as much as it needs to be. Yeah. And um, you need to make it a matter of first importance. When when the, the scriptures are talking about conflict, you know, it, it, it specifically, it just says, hey, if you got in trouble with the way that you, you know, talked about um, somebody else and, and uh, you know, maybe your words got you in a place of trouble where you were speaking poorly about somebody, this is what it says in Proverbs chapter six. It says... It says, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. In other words, you know, how does a bird, I tell people, get away from a fowler? Or how does a gazelle go away from a hunter? The answer is like their life depends on it. And and so Proverbs 6, when it's talking about this, when it says, When you, my son, find yourself in the hand of your neighbor because you've done something you shouldn't have done, really here it was just give vow, give a vow for something you shouldn't have but you've now got a conflict because you said something was going to happen that's not happening. You make it a matter of first importance. Give no sleep to your eyes. You go and you deal with it. In this case, humble yourself. And I would say when you see a problem, right? Um, that has is, is happened in a relationship with you and, and somebody else. You need to be a person that just says, I'm, I'm going to jump in. Now, look, the says you don't want to just jump in to other people's conflict. It says that he who grabs, um, you know, gets in a quarrel that's not his own is like somebody who grabs a dog, you know, by the ears. You don't want to just go do that. But where you're there and it's a conflict that you're a part of or that you're part of the solution for, it becomes job one. So much so, that uh, not only should you not take communion, right? We, we're without unity that God intends. That's First Corinthians 11. Matthew chapter five, Jesus is just saying there, look, you better make sure before you get ready to come and worship me. If you got a problem, if you remember when you get there that your brother's got a problem with you, this is what he says. He says, um, leave your offering, verse 24, of Matthew five, there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother. And then come back with your outward expressions of your devotion to me. So Christ is saying that, look, man, this is job one, is be be committed to one another because that's how the world is going to know you're my people.
1: That's good. So Todd, can you you go like real practical on this and just talk about some of the steps? And so even before you get to conflict, like what do you— what goes on in your own heart before you're walking into a conflict situation and then when you get there what you know what are you thinking what are the steps um and just help someone walk into their next uh conflict situation uh, more prepared uh, with a game plan
2: okay well i'll say there's a couple ways to look at this uh, when i'm dealing with somebody that is um got a problem with me or that is a creating a problem with others it's a, it's a little different and one of the things that um, I would I would say that I always try and do in those situations, there's a couple of verses that I always wanna read uh, just to remind myself when I go in. One of them is in 2 Timothy, you know, chapter two, and it says, the Lord's bondservant, this is verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, okay? And, and so if somebody's done something to me, that's one of the verses, I go, look, I wanna be, you wanna be an elder, Okay, you want to be a spiritual leader in the church? It says, be patient when wronged with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. And so uh, that's Second Timothy. I always I always read um, Titus, okay? In Titus chapter 3, um, I, I'm literally, John, this is what goes in my heart. I'm answering so that's, that that's
1: question. The, you're doing a great job. Thank right?
2: You. And so... It just says there in Titus 3, remind them, meaning spiritual people, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Watch this. For we also once were foolish, ourselves disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But the kindness of God appeared. And I just got to remind myself, like, hey, listen, I I am going into this knowing maybe that person's trapped a little bit just like I was. And apart from Christ being uh, what leads me even in this moment, I'm going to be a hater and I'm going to be deceived and disobedient and I'm going to be factious. And so if I'm in this moment, the one who's going to move in with grace, I want to make sure I move in understanding that um, that the kindness of God, is what is gonna allow me to be kind to this brethren. And then the other one, I'm just gonna say it, it's another verse I always try and prepare my heart with when I go into conflict. It's in Hebrews chapter five, where it says, uh, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Why? It says, because he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. So I just go, hey, if by the grace of God right now, I'm the one that is acting as a priest, okay, God's vessel of grace to men, uh, then I need to remember that it's because of the grace of God who's a work in my heart. I'm the one also beset with weakness. If there's good that's gonna be here, gentleness and kindness and love and self-control, it's because Jesus is present. That's what I wanna be. So I don't get surprised when there's conflict and other people aren't acting like they should. I just wanna go in um, with with God's heart. I, re- I remind myself, That what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, you younger men be subject to your elders, right? But then it says, but all of you, clothe yourself in humility with one another. And so that list of uh, like, how do you prepare your
0: heart before you go into conflict? We did that as an exercise at a staff meeting a few years ago where we put together this list of Twenty-five or thirty uh, yeah. of those verses. So we'll uh, we'll make that available in the show notes. But that's such an important step in all of us uh, Of that Matthew seven, taking that log out, just just even preparing before you talk to somebody, doing the hard work before you okay.
2: even get in the room. And so you're, you're hitting at it Adam, because that's that's the thing. You you quoted the one verse that you might have thought I was going to quote first, which is right. in Matthew chapter seven. You know where Jesus just says, "Hey, listen, man, you you want to before you go and get the speck out of your brother's eyes, just do the hard work." right, of preparing for the battle, you got to ask yourself, what's my responsibility in this? What we like to tell people is, hey, even if you only got 2% of the, of the, of the conflict, then you want to own 100% of your 2%. That's getting the log out of your eye. And so I always ask Jesus, what, what could I have done better? You know, one of the things that's amazing when you watch Christ is that he gets in conflict with people. Now, because he's Jesus, <laughs> we know it was never his fault. Right. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't get to play that on the divine son of God card. So I usually can find something, right? Even if it's just the way that someone could perceive what I did, because it was always a perception problem with Jesus. He was never the problem. Okay. Sometimes there's something about me, my nature, maybe my history, okay, that can make people project on me things that maybe aren't true, but I can own that. I can take 100% of the responsibility for just the fact that I've been a jerk before, that they maybe thought I was being a jerk again. And so I can go in and just say, hey, listen, man, I, I just want to come. And I want to I ask your forgiveness. And I might even, you know, I don't want to make it so weak, you know, where I say, for whatever it is you think I might have done, right? That's yeah, kind of crazy. not helpful. No, but, but I think I want to really, I do, I spend some time, I pray, right, for self-awareness. And just say, God, what's something that I can legitimately own in this in this scenario? And so Psalm one thirty nine verses twenty three and twenty four, search me, O oh God, and know me, try me, and uh, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me, and then lead me in the everlasting way, so I can go to somebody and just say, Hey, you know. So I, I do. I spend some time. Not it's easy for me to know what I'm going to tell that guy. He did wrong. I got to spend a lot of time getting the
1: log out of my own eye and preparing for that conversation. So good. Because that changes everything when you show up to the conversation that way. You know, I've just been sitting with the Lord and asking Him to show me my part. And I I probably missed some of it, but I'm pretty convinced this is part of it. And uh, and I just want to confess that. And I want to ask your forgiveness and tell me, I'm really sorry. What else do you want to tell me about that? I mean, that, that changes, mm-hmm. uh, that changes it and keeps it out of this, you know, street fight, yeah. um, right out of the shoes. This is where you'll see, Todd, to your point,
0: uh, who is really uh, following Jesus. Uh, because if you would like to think ideally that if, if followers of Christ are getting together, then humility will hopefully become contagious. Okay. So if you start off with humility, that humbles me, which humbles you. And then now we're, we're moving in the right direction. But there are those times, and we've been in those conversations. You start off with humility, and the bloodhound smells blood, and they're just like, "That's right, yeah, this was your," and then, boom, they just go all after you. Which is back to the the passage, Todd, that you had uh, referenced earlier with us needing to be patient when wronged. That the, these things don't always go well, but uh, but we got to get in there and have these conversations, nonetheless. That's right, and the scripture
2: tells us that we're we're not responsible for their response. Yeah. Right? Um, and so that's why it says, as much as you are able, in Romans, be at peace with all men. And one of the things you've got to do going into conflict, you've got to be prepared for unreasonable people. And, um, and so, you know, God doesn't measure our success in terms of the results, but rather in terms of our faithful obedience. It's, it's are we doing what he wants us to do? And so um, don't give up easily. You know, don't be a person that is going to just go, I went once. You know, you might need to go back again. You might need to ask yourself, hey, what could I have owned more? Or, um, But conflict is something that, that I do. Again, you, you already said it, Adam. Hopefully following Christ is contagious. But whether it's contagious or not, it's ours to do. And you are modeling. This is what spiritual people do. And you should be prepared that there are going to be some unspiritual people uh, or people that are in a really hard time in the midst of conflict. One of the things, I'll just say this in marriage, that my wife and I have always said is, look, man, we can only afford for one of us to be crazy at a time, (laughs) right? Because if we both get crazy, it's going to get ugly real, real quick. And Uh, and I would just say, watch yourself that way in conflict with other people. And so if you're dealing with another crazy person, you know, that's why the scripture says abandon the quarrel before it breaks out for like, you know, it says the beginning of conflict is like the letting out of water. Mm. (laughs) It just starts and it just begins to flow. And so when you find yourself getting crazy, you can be pretty sure that it's about to go sideways. That's when you really have got to go, Hey Lord, I want what you want here. I've got to model, um, your way and show forbearance and long suffering. That doesn't ever mean you look over sin, right? That's never glorifying to God. And so I think that's one of the things to say is like, how do you know when to go? Yeah. Right? Because it says uh, there's
0: gonna be some that are listening right now going, Great. So now eighty percent of my job just changed. <laughs> <laughs> Cause now I gotta go around and just tell everybody what they do that annoys me and you know, have those conversations. and hey, you know the way you are can you just stop that? Uh, that that's not the way we do this and and there are uh, Todd, as you'll share with us, it is a glory sometimes to overlook an offense. So, what what are some
2: guidelines for that? Look at you quote in Proverbs nineteen eleven. That's where it is. All right, it's a man's glory. It says to overlook an offense, and so you, you know, at least you know a minor offense. Uh, love covers a multitude of sins. The question is, okay, well, what's a minor offense? What, what should I look over? And um, you know, and we just like to tell people around here is look anything that dishonors God is not minor. And so one of the things that dishonors God is when people that are supposed to be one, uh, you know, and be peace, at peace with one another are peace faking. Or there's something that happened that is breaking peace. So anything that dishonors God or the second thing is a very close correlation to it, it damages a relationship because God has, has um, died in order to restore unity. So if it dishonors God, in other words, it's a behavior that's inconsistent with scripture. Okay, you got to speak up about it. If it damages relationships, which almost all sin does, you got to speak up about it. Um, Is something happening that's hurting other people? In other words, it may not be hurting you, but it's hurting others. You got to speak up against that and not just say, well, it's not affecting me. You know, see also the famous Martin Niemöller quote, right? That they came for the trade unionists I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. And uh, they came for the Catholics and on and on and on. I didn't speak up until, because I wasn't a Catholic and they came for the Jews. I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one there to speak up for me. So Proverbs 24, uh, 11 and 12 says, you see those being led away to slaughter, oh, hold them back, right? Those staggering to death. You're responsible if you see damage being done to other people. And then is it seriously hurting the offender himself? I mean, if that person's testimony is being compromised because of the way they're living, right? Second um, Corinthians 6, 3 says, do nothing that will cause the ministry to be discredited. So if you see a brother who's hurting his own ability to be faithful and witness for Christ. You need to prayerfully go to him in a spirit of gentleness, Galatians 6 says. Uh, first looking to your selfless, you too be tempted. And there's ways to talk about that, about what it means. You know, that How can you be tempted? Do you can be tempted to go harshly and judgmentally, right? Uh, arrogantly? Um, or, or frankly, you know, just because I mean, you're exasperated or because you think you're better than that other person, but it says go to that person and, and restore them and thus fulfill the law and love of Christ. So anytime you see some dishonors God, damages relationships, is hurting other people or hurting that other person, it's not a minor offense.
1: So good. Yeah, I think one thing for me too is uh, do I care about it the next day? And sometimes just, just sleeping on it, praying praying for that person, seeing them as God's son or God's daughter. Uh, I just, you know, I don't have to go to them. It becomes a pattern becomes any of those things that you just uh, rattled off Todd then it is something but I think I would I would <laughs> I would have conflict all day long if every time I had this minor irritance yeah uh, if I went and yeah, I had to have those conversations
0: so. yeah and so hopefully as we're getting older're growing in that wisdom to know what is the difference between just general annoyance versus a, a real offense and uh, and it is to our yeah. glory, yeah, I
2: sometimes mean, I, I, overlook John. The illustration I use is sometimes you get a bad meal; it didn't sit with you right. And you kind of go, you know, and just maybe you can let it burp it out or whatever you're going to do. I don't know, <laughs> and you feel better a little bit later. And there are other times you know, hey, this is you know, this is not going to go away, yeah, unless it comes out. And, um, you know, what happens, I think, a lot of times is people act like they're being noble by holding something in. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I'm going to be graphic. You know, it's a projectile vomiting all over a person. Like, where did that come from? Yeah. And they'll tell you it was a meal I ate in a conversation with you three days ago. Yeah. And I, you know, or three years ago. Yes. And I've hated you ever since. Yes. i thought this way about you. And that that isn't good. You got to have the courage to go to somebody and just say, listen, I I, I believe you want, you know, what's best in our relationship, but this hurt me. And it, and it's, it's our pride that sometimes doesn't want to tell people that, hey, man, you hurt me. Kind of like, I, I don't want to be a person that you can hurt, you know? And so I'm not even going to tell you. I'm just going to hurt you more and make you less valuable by talking poorly about you to others
1: instead of restoring what has been lost yeah. through that thing that just happened. So some of the guys are sitting here uh, and gals, they're driving around and going, man, is this really worth it? I mean, God, you know so much work. And what what's the payoff, Todd, for you? I mean, you sit, you know, in the seat that you sit in on a multi-campus church, lots going on. What I mean, what's been the payoff? Why, why has it been worth it uh, to engage this way? Well, the payoff is
2: that you can invite people in, okay? One of the things you hear all the time is that people say, man, do you like that food at that place? Don't work in the kitchen, right? Or you like that church? Don't go on staff. I think the thing that the three of us are the most thankful for is that people who come and work more closely with us, love this place even more than before. Yeah. Because they go, man, there's, there's a real effort there to, to love each other and to work through stuff with each other in the way that Christians should, right? And so um, you don't have to manage information. You don't have to manage perception. Number one, that is a great way to live. You know, uh, when you're a peacemaker, it gives you peace. It does, it really does, because you're not having to pretend that things are patched together and that no one knows the truth about what's going on in the family closet. Um, Secondly, it is, uh, I mean, and I would say this should be first, is the payoff is that people see the community that Christ says will make them uh, demand an explanation, right? I mean, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense when others ask you to give an account for the way you live, all right, for the hope within you. And that's why it says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, because they're going to see and go, you know, we don't like their doctrine. We don't like um, their morality, but man, you can't argue with the way they love. You can't argue with their families, You can't argue with their marriages. You can't argue with their communities. All the nations are at war. And in that community, there are people from every tribe, ethnicity, um, every social status, every economic group, and they love each other. There's got to be a reason for that. And there is. The answer is Christ. And so you get to be the community that God wants. I think, John, you've said this, that if you've got a healthy marriage, if you've got a marriage and a family that really loves each other, You'll never lack a platform for ministry.
1: You know, you might even say it more pithy than that. Yeah, yeah. Always have an opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah. You just will, because people will be intrigued and they'll be curious. And yes, always. Yeah. So, it's, it's a unicorn. So that's why. I mean, and, and you know, and
2: here's the truth. I mean, look, guys, this is the craziest thing in the world a number of years ago, and this, I guess, is a good place to stick this in, right? One of the guys on staff came to me and he he still takes the newspaper, which will tell you how antiquated he is. Hmm. But apparently, there's a newspaper in our town, (laughs) okay? Who knew? Who knew? And and they do this thing called the best place to work. And it's, and, and I'm, you know, obviously we're kidding, right? Because this newspaper is, is, widely read online and still thrown in people's yards and all the every industry in dallas i mean the the big airlines in dallas you know southwest american the container stores based here in dallas I could go on and on with the major corporations that here all compete to be the best places to work and he came to me six years ago and said "Todd, we gotta get in this like first of all there's no way they're gonna let us in that and and i don't you know i really don't want to get in that involved in that and all blah, 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 blah. So, and he said, hey, I just think we need to do it. So other guys came and prevailed upon me and we ended up doing it. And lo and behold, we went down there. I mean, and they invited us to this luncheon. Well, it turns out there was 2000 business leaders from Dallas that were there. And we were awarded second place that year, the best second best place to work. And um, and I, first of all, realized that we were the only church in the entire room. Okay. And uh, maybe we're the only ones that tried, Okay, but uh, two things. Number one, I stood up and I asked the entire room's forgiveness because I was like, "Hey guys, will you forgive me?" Because my, my Savior says that we're supposed to be marked by this thing called love, and if we really loved each other, I think we'd be the best place to work. So, <laughs> will you forgive me that we finished second? <laughs> it was brilliant. And then it the, was brilliant. The, but then the second thing I did is uh, I thought to myself, "You know what? I think there's a reason. There's uh, that that and I, I I the next year we went back, same thing happened." And I just said, hey, a lot of you guys, you know, maybe you're disgusted at Jesus' church because you see things happen in your church where people are treated more horribly than you are at your place of work. And will you forgive me for that? And I hope that if you ever wanna know if God's people can really love and work alongside each other for the only thing that really matters, then I'd love you to come and hang out with us because this is a great place to work, not because we're perfect, but because we serve a perfect king who's reconciled ourselves to him so we can reconcile with one another. And then what did you say year three, four, five, and <laughs> yeah. six? Because this has happened six yeah, years in the pattern. It has, it has. And I just, I, I, but I think the thing that's amazing is I've realized this. I've realized that a lot of people have come to me and said, hey, my church would never win this. Which it's amazing that the container store would have a better reputation for how to treat people than churches. Yeah. That's the payoff. You get to be Jesus's church and it takes work. I, I. you know, one of the hardest things I've got to do as a pastor you know, and I, I do have a, a great wife. Who is um, people like my wife? I just don't. I've not met people who don't like my wife, except people who know me and go, "Why are you married to that jerk?" <laughs> and uh, and so, but my wife and I, 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 we have to work at our marriage, and it just it exasperates me a little bit that I've got to prove to people that my wife and I have a great marriage because we work at it. Okay, and I think sometimes people act like, "Gosh, if we were really God's people, we would have to work." at loving each other. And man, we work at it, right? We've sat with each other and go, I mean, this frustrated me, this hurt me. And because we love and honor each other, we're gonna let me understand that. So like, you know, Proverbs 18 2 is the the, the double trouble of a fool. It says that a uh, fool doesn't delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. You know, he's got a, a double trouble of a fool. He's got, a, he's got an open mouth and closed ears. And so I'm just amazed at my lack of sensitivity sometimes that somebody loves me enough to go, listen to me, hey, shh. I want to tell you how when you did that, it made me feel. Right, and I I got a choice then. I go, what do what What do you think I care about? How long you been working here? What's your name? What do you think I I don't care how you feel. You know who I am. Who are you to walk in my office? I mean, I mean that no one's ever going to say that. But when you act like that, and you call yourself a man of God, that's crazy, right? And um and so I just want to be one of those guys that just says, hey, listen. I mean, I I I want to know you know, of how I can love you more. And I want to listen. And so, uh, anyway, man, this is a topic that we could spend no, uh, and we could endless time on as we try and help others to realize this is going to be your biggest ticket to declaring the power of the of the resurrected God in your life yeah. is when you have and healthy I'll, relationships.
0: I'll add one more, you know, that I see the payoff for some of this is some of the things that we've been talking about as a staff with trust. And uh, every time... You can resolve conflict with somebody and they, you're just, you're building up good baggage in that relationship and you're building trust and you're starting to like, okay, so if John and I ever get in a fight, we resolved it one time, I bet we'll be able to do it again. I bet we'll be able to do it again. I bet we'll be able to do it again. And so the collective trust of the culture builds. And then, I mean, as, as we've been reading about in that book, Speed of Trust, like things get done faster. Uh, There is a benefit to a culture that has high trust. You can get stuff done. And uh, and there is a real cost when you have a culture that does not trust one another. And this is one of, if not the most important ways to build trust in your
1: culture is that you're able to voice and resolve your conflict. I look at you, the accountant, and you just can't, it can't keep uh, from coming out, but you're talking about like net time savings. Absolutely. There's a number value. We could do it. We can figure it out, I'm sure. You, well, and, and, and not only that, but like when you said, you know, earlier
2: we talked about it, it's a glory to overlook a minor offense. Like a lot of times when, when there's something that happens with somebody that I could negatively interpret, right? But if I've worked through conflict with that person consistently and I've watched them – um Humble themselves and clear up misunderstandings. I, it just allows me to overlook a lot more because I go, look, it could be A, B, and C. Except I know it's not A, B, and C because every time I've I've dealt with somebody, it's gone back. This, you know, and the reason he didn't communicate well with me there is not because he's trying to make me look bad or not because he's trying to um, you know maintain information so he has power over me. I, I don't know what the reason is. I didn't get clear communication there, but I know it's not. I know it's not because he doesn't love me. Yeah. And so I'm going to let it go, and and it just allows you in that moment to move forward and think the best um, you know, about each other. Why? Because you've seen somebody do God's best again and again and again. And so that, that building trust thing lets you not only work more quickly, it lets you work with less interruptions because you're not as prone to negatively interpret. Instead of there he goes again, yeah. it's like,
1: hey, I know who it is who goes there as a faithful man who loves me. So we're good. Yeah, that is that is what uh, makes this place amazing. One of the, one of the many things, Todd. So, brother, I appreciate it. Um, I'm grateful for your leadership, the way you model all of this, and uh, it has been has been such a joy. Um, for 18 years ago, wondering could this actually happen? Yeah, it can. It's a lot of hard work. It's worth it. I mean, I think back; these are some of the holiest moments that I've been a part of. Here, we've seen people come to Christ. We've seen marriages restored. But we've seen people with legitimate differences and uh, frustrations with each other reconcile, and I just I think back to John seventeen. I was like, he, Jesus was praying for this stuff, man, yeah. and it is just, they're just holy. Moments, and, and to your point, disciples are being made—not yeah. just from the preaching of the word or some class or some Bible study, but at that moment at the table, resolving conflict, getting the log out of our own eye, um, being humble. Man, um, it's just really, really rich times, good, holy moments. So, thank you, brother.
2: Yeah, listen, this is where show notes will be your friend. We'll link yeah. sermon series on this, a link to the conflict field guide, guys. I, I this is going to be worth. This will bless your life your marriage, your relationships, uh, the place that you call God's people who gather together, I would encourage you to spend some time on this one. It, it will, uh, it'll be transformative. Absolutely. So check out the show notes for the links to all those resources. If you have any other questions or
0: comments about today's episode, you can always email us at clp@watermark.org. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you again next time.